Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Get Your Go. This is your host, Josh, today, talking about Derek Carr getting a three-year extension with the Raiders, what that means moving forward. Baker Mayfield opens his mouth yet again. What do I think about that? Then there are talk about some wide receivers getting draft or getting traded before the draft or during the draft. How likely is it that any of the four wide receivers that have been mentioned are going to be traded? And then the play-in games, the first couple games have been played. The seven and eight matchups, nine and ten have been played. I was right on all of them. I'm going to go through those. And then the pivotal games tomorrow to finish off the play-in before we get into the playoffs on Saturday. And then I'll round it out with my top five teams in baseball through the first week. So let's get started with Derek Carr getting a three-year contract extension that is worth up to $121.5 million. Now runs through a 2025 season. Uh, And on top of that, he gets a no-trade clause as well. Derek Carr was very happy. You know, he told his agent that he's either going to be a Raider or I'm going to be playing golf. I don't want to play anywhere else. I mean, that's a nice sentiment at all, but it's not like I know you've made your money and you could say you'd be playing golf, but I realistically don't buy that. Uh, but I'm happy that, you know, you love Las Vegas. You want to go out and win a championship. And this is just a smart move by the Las Vegas Raiders. It's a move I think they had to do, considering the trade for Devontae Adams. Good friend of Derek Carr. They wanted to play together, which is why Derek Carr went over to the Raiders. And when he came over, he got a five-year deal as well. So it only makes sense for the Raiders to extend Derek Carr, who is going to head into free agency after this season. And, you know, the drama that has surrounded Aaron Rodgers the past couple of years, the team of, you know, Green Bay, Devontae being dragged down by that, they didn't want the same thing with Derek Carr. So I think it's a smart move uh, to lock him up now and have your top quarterback and have your top wide receiver on the same page moving forward as players, as a team, as an organization. It makes total sense. I like the contract as well. I'm totally fine with it. And I like this because the most important relationship on the field is the quarterback and wide receiver. We've seen that with Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey, with Tom Brady and Gronkowski, with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae. Before Devontae was traded, we see how important the quarterback relationship relation, the quarterback wide receiver relationship is. It's the most important for them to be on the same page because it's a pass-happy league now. You want those two on the same page, your best wide receiver and your best quarterback. So this just makes sense for the Las Vegas Raiders moving forward. I like this deal. I like that they got it done. You know, to me, this is only going to make them better. There's no speculation now. They have every guy in place. You know, there should be no, you know, where's my money, what about me sort of thing. 
Everybody has their money. Devontae's got his money. Derek Carr's now got his. Chandler Jones was signed and got his. Max Crosby, his as well. Uh, and, you know, Carr, you know, structured his contract to, you know, allow for guys like Darren Waller, Renfro, Moreau, you know. I think very good move by all parties considered. Like this move a lot for the Las Vegas Raiders. Next up, Sammy Watkins, former Chiefs wide receiver, former Ravens wide receiver this past year, has agreed to a deal with the Green Bay Packers. He goes to a team that needs wide receiver help. I mean, the Packers have only lost all their wide receivers this offseason. Devontae Adams, who I just named, went to the Raiders. Marquez Zelda-Scantley to the Chiefs. And then St. Brown to the Bears. So their top receivers were Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, who's got an old, and Amari Rogers, who was their pick last year, I believe, in a, one of their later rounds, but didn't get a lot of playing time. So now they add Sammy Watkins, who to me is another fringe, you know, two wide receiver right now in his career. Uh, you know, Coach Matt LaFleur. You know, has a rapport with him. You know, he was with, they were both at the Rams in 2017 under Sean McVay. Uh, this isn't a move I like. It's a cheap deal. It's one year, you know, $4 million. So it can get out with under him if they don't like it. Uh, but the thing, you know, with Sammy Watkins has been injuries. Last year, struggled to stay on the field. Uh, finished a career low in receptions. Had 27 and receiving yards, 394. He's missed 30 games over the past seven seasons and has only played one full season in his whole career, which happened to be his 2014 rookie season. So when healthy, I think he's a great wide receiver, but that's the thing. You can't trust him to be healthy. And that's the thing with the Packers wide receiver core right now is they have signed an injured Alan Lazard, They've kept an aging Randall Cobb, who battled his injuries this past year, and Alan Lazard, who also battled some injuries here or there. So it's a very frail, not that good group of wide receivers that the Green Bay Packers have. I'm all about adding depth, but I still have to believe that they're taking a wide receiver with one of their first-round draft picks uh, that they have. It's a must it's a key for this team if they really want to contend in the NFC. Uh, the Packers have to add, to me, not only just one more wide receiver, but at least two, maybe even three wide receivers in this upcoming draft. Then Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield apparently feels disrespected uh, by the Cleveland Browns after the trade for Deshaun Watson. He said he was told one thing and they completely did another. He says he's ready for the next chapter. He says the Seattle Seahawks are probably the most likely option for him. Says he's requested a trade 
but nothing's come on to it. He has no regrets of his time. And true Clevelanders and true Browns fans know that. But he also admitted, which I'm happy he did, that he did get caught up in all the negativity and stuff last year and the booze. And then he said something that, you know, you know, really annoyed me is, you know, last year was booed multiple times. One of the big times was, you know, just a narrow victory over the helpless Detroit Lions by a field goal. Talking about going to people's cubicles at work and booing them. This interview that he had yesterday on whatever podcast it was stood out to me because at first I did feel bad for Baker because he was playing this right. Uh, You know, he wrote his open pen to Cleveland on Twitter, poured his heart out and was just said all the right things. Uh, You know, when there were reports of them, him getting traded or Deshaun Watson coming on board and the, you know, we need an adult, a quarterback thing. And then this happened yesterday. And I thought, really, Baker, you know, after a terrible year that you had, just terrible. Uh, and then this thing that happened to you, I was kind of, you know, rooting for you to get back on your feet. Then this happened yesterday. And it made sense why the Browns moved on from you. Is because they do need an adult at quarterback. And you're just not that guy. Uh It reminds me, you know, whenever Baker speaks to somebody else, it reminds me of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, when Thanos is talking to Ronan, uh, the accuser, and, you know, he just says, you know, your demeanor is that of a pouty child. And that's exactly how I feel with Baker. His demeanor is that of a pouty child. Uh He's got no respect uh, for anybody else. He is not the adult in the room. Uh, Everybody knows that he played like crap last year, and he just won't own up to it. You know, I'm glad you tried to fight through the pain, but you didn't do the right thing, uh, my guy. Uh, And, you know, because of that, you know, you're on the outs. And who knows where you'll even go, where you'll even end up. I'm glad you're in a good place right now, but you are in no place to lead an NFL organization. He is in no place to do that, and I don't think he could ever lead an organization, you know, as the face and be, uh, you know, the quarterback that takes the team to the Super Bowl. I was wrong about Baker. I was high on Baker for a while there, especially after that close loss to the Chiefs in the divisional round last year. He is not that same guy. I've grown to like him less, and it's because of things like this. And I don't know where he goes from there. I don't know what team wants him. I don't think Seattle's all that interested or you know, one of the other two teams that might need a quarterback, you know, Panthers, Falcons, are even interested in him. 
And it's not like he's going to be the backup with the Browns either because they signed Jacoby uh, Brissett, and I believe they got one more quarterback as well on the team. So even, I believe, if Deshaun Watson gets suspended, Baker won't even be in the, you know, won't even start those games. Uh, This is just a guy that I don't think understands being a quarterback in the NFL understands the NFL, and when you look at, you know, NFL greats, you know, he's always looking for an excuse. Oh, you know, I've played for four different head coaches in four years. I'm looking for stability. Well, you were drafted by the Browns, and if you looked at the Browns before you were drafted, you know, but 10 years leading up to it, you know it was a pretty bad situation before you came in there, so I don't know what kind of stability you were looking for. But again, it's all this excuses, talking down to people, booing people at work that, you know, you know, the hard, you know, the fan, you know, pays hard-earned money to come see you. You know, sometimes it's quite a bit of their paycheck because it's a team they root for. It's not just you. So when you play poorly, not ju- it's not just one game. It was the full slate of games that you played this season that you played poorly. So boos are expected. And did you rise above them? No, you didn't. You played so bad all year. You know, you finished 27th in QBR. That's bad. The Browns finished with a losing record, you know, worst team in that division. Uh, So, no. I don't have any more respect for Baker, uh, and I don't know where he goes from here as well. It'll be interesting, but I just don't know. Then there was an interesting article on on ESPN about the NFL salary cap and if it is real. And I got to let you know it was interesting. Uh, They asked a couple of, you know, executives, and a couple of them flat out said, no, salary cap isn't real. And, you know, you tried to think, you know, is the salary cap real? You know, the $208 million threshold, you know, you look at teams like the Rams who just spend money, you know, a lot last year, a lot this year so far, and you wonder, hell, really not at the point you've got the Saints who were – in a large salary cap debt for a while, they just restructure a few contracts and they're underneath. So to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But what I do believe, especially from the article that was read or that was written, that it is very malleable. Uh, and really, what's the NFL going to do uh, if you're over the salary cap limit and you're signed? Like, what are we going to do, forfeit draft picks, forfeit a championship? You know, what exactly are they going to do? Uh, nothing. That's what they're going to do. Uh, so it's kind of just a, a magic number that they float out there. But I think the one key takeaway is that the salary cap, you know, provides it to where you can't hoard all the star players. You can have, you know, a star quarterback and wide receiver and maybe a a defender or two, but you can't stack the pot. 
you can't have, you know, the quarterback, the running back, you know, the wide receivers, the defensive ends, the cornerbacks. I mean, you think about it, you know, the Rams, they've got Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, but they can't afford, you know, a Derrick Henry at running back, a Jonathan Taylor at running back. They couldn't afford a Tyrone Matthew uh, at safety. And I say that now and watch, you know, Tyron Matthew, a free agent, sign some cheap deal with him and it'll like me, it'll bite my tongue. But, you know, it, it really allows it to where you can't have an all-star lineup, you know, like the Dodgers, you know, where there's really no salary cap in baseball. You can't go out and just sign, you know, a Freddie Freeman to pair with a Mookie Betts and a Trey Turner uh, and uh, Justin Turner and a Cody Bellinger and all the guys that they have on there. It just makes it impossible, which I think is good for the parity of football. Then, now talking about the big four in terms of the biggest wide receivers out there right now. Could they get traded or not? It's been mentioned. But first one, DK Metcalf. Do I see him getting traded? I do not. Uh, But then again, you know, as much as I wanted Russell to get traded, I thought, you know, it's not going to happen. It's the Seahawks. It's Russell. It just won't happen. And it did happen. So this could be the same thing. I don't think DK Metcalf gets traded. I think he stays. But then again, he is entering the last year of his contract, his rookie deal. So he's going to command a big salary, probably $20 million on the open market. Do the Seahawks want to pay him? Do they think it's worth it? Or do they try to trade him? I think if they trade him, it'll be to a team that needs him, like the Green Bay Packers, you know, ship out a first-round draft pick for DK Metcalf. To me, it makes a ton of sense. A ton of sense for them, uh, for the Packers to do that. Uh, it'll be a very smart move to get a guy like DK, uh, pair with Aaron Rodgers, but I don't think he gets traded. Next up, Debo Samuel. This one's very interesting to me because I love Debo Samuel, especially after this year. You know, he was the top five player. You know, he was on my fantasy team, so, you know, having him in every week just helped me out. But this is where I'm at odds with Debo because I love Debo Samuel. At the end there, it was like, oh, Brady's going to retire. Maybe Debo will take the spot as my favorite player in the league because I love how unique he is. You know, the wide back role that fits Debo, his physicality, his versatility as a wide receiver, uh, but he runs like a running back, so they can use him as a running back. And it's been mentioned, you know, he wants a $25 million salary. I think the 49ers are playing hardball. And, you know, it didn't help that Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the Niners, says they're willing to listen to trade offers for anyone for the right price. Which got me to wondering is, ooh, is there some truth to that? Now, let me say two things. I'm going to say more than two things, but... Uh, number one, about Debo Samuel, and this is to Debo Samuel, you might want to take, you know, I know you want $25 million. I think you're worth $25 million. But to me, 
I'd rather take a little bit less to stay in a good situation with the Niners. You're not going to find a better situation. You were just in the NFC Championship game. Now, if you're going to get traded to the Rams, the Buccaneers, or any one of the AFC teams like the Chiefs, uh, I don't know who else, uh, the Bengals, but they don't need you. A lot of those teams in the AFC, they don't really need you. Uh, but you need to get traded to a good team. Uh, and that's what I think. It's like, you know, even just for the average Joe, you know, you're always looking uh, for a higher paying job. But you want it to be the right fit and right company. Uh, it's like, oh, this company offered me, you know, 25% more than what I'm making now. But are they a good company? Are they a trustworthy company? Is the role like my role now? Or are they going to ask me to work every single weekend when I don't work weekends now? Or am I going to have more overtime shifts? Is it going to cause more anxiety and my hair to fall out? You know, those are all things you have to consider. And Dio Samuel is in a very comfortable position right now. But going to the Jets, that's a very uncomfortable situation. Obviously, they're desperate for a wide receiver. They were trying to get in on the Tyree Kill sweepstakes. Didn't happen. Debo, do you want to get traded to the Jets? You're not going to be the guy that restarts that franchise. And another thing, Debo, is, you know, you're used now as a wide back. This, you know, you were used like this. Because of the situation that you're in. Because Raheem Moster was injured in an out for the rest of the year. And Elijah Mitchell missed a few games. So you were used more as a running back. And it paid dividends for you, your numbers, for the team, the 49ers. So it worked out. Not every team is going to use you like that. The Jets aren't going to line you up at running back. I don't believe any other team will run you up like running back like the 49ers do 10, maybe 15 times a game. They're just not. And you're not going to find a better coach than Kyle Shanahan, the way to kind of design and screen you up plays where the ball is fitted to go to your hands and make a play. I think of just, you know, a couple screen plays where it goes to you, Debo, and you fly down the field 40 yards for a touchdown or, or the jet sweep or some kind of motion play where you just turn it upfield because not a lot of teams use as much motion like Kyle Shanahan of a 49. So Debo, you are in the perfect spot right now. I know you might want 25 million, but if you're offered 2022, take the money. You won't regret it when you're competing for championships, when you could get traded to a very bad situation and live with a lot of regret. You get your money, but are you that happy when the paycheck comes at the end of the week to endure the torture of being in a bad organization? Another wide receiver that got mentioned as well, A.J. Brown. You know, the D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, the twin lookalike, you know, from the draft picture, the other big wide receiver out there who's on the Tennessee Titans. Could he get traded? I'm going to say this one's another one like DK. It's not very likely. 
considering Ryan Tannehill has a clear good relationship with him. There's no Julio Jones. But again, if a price is right, will the Tennessee Titans trade him? I don't think Mike Rabel would be that fine. I don't think it happens. I think A.J. Brown stays again. It's going to be a salary cap situation thing. Uh, but I don't think A.J. Brown's one to get traded. Then the last of the big four, Terry McLaurin of the Washington, now known as the Football Commanders. This is one that's more interesting, like Debo, uh, because it's just, to me, it's the more intrigue is what the organization itself, the commanders now, is that they're such a poorly run football team uh, that you just don't know what is going to happen, you know, anytime with the commanders. What are we going to go out and do? Are we going to do something dumb? I mean, you just never know. So, Again, this is one I think is unlikely that Terry gets traded. But it very well could happen because I don't see them winning this division anytime soon. Uh, Now with the Eagles, who are ascending and made the playoffs and are a little bit better than them, uh, both as a team and organizationally, structurally, you got the Cowboys who regressed but I think think we'll still be better than the football team or the commanders, whatever they're called now. So I could see them trading him, getting a draft pick. I don't think you get a first for Terry McLaurin, uh, but you just never know with this organization. So out of those four wide receivers, I think the one most likely to get traded is Debo if he continues to be playing hardball. And another thing about Debo is – you know, you know, he unfollowed, you know, his team on Instagram, you know, wiped all mention of the 49ers. And to me, it amuses me when people tell me, you know, oh, that doesn't mean anything, you know, when you wipe your social media, you know, of somebody. And I'm going to tell you, it kind of does mean something. Uh... Because, you know, not, you know, you had Tyler Murray a few weeks ago. uh, Or actually not a few weeks ago, a few months ago. White pissed social media of the Cardinals and it came out, you know, even, you know, he had to write a statement that, yeah, you know, he wants his agent and him wants a new contract, want new contracts all around, a big, bright, new, big contract. That's why he wiped it clean. So it does mean there's turmoil there. I don't want anybody to... Tell me, oh, it's no big deal. Because it does mean something. I mean, even, you know, it worked. You know, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. And there's people in my network, you know, everybody usually says in their bio, you know, their job title at this company, maybe a banner of their company uh, is on one of their images. And, you know, you work with somebody and you look at their profile and all of a sudden, it has your job title and a little bit more stats, but not where they work, you know. And the banner's been removed in the background. And you're like, oh, that's a little odd. Then next thing you know, a couple days later, you know, or a week later, they get a job somewhere else. You know, it's like, oh, 
really? Is that what happens? And then you see it more, you know, you know, put their accomplishments in their thing. Like, you know, I'm really, you know, looking to move on here, you know, you know, mention of your old company, unless it's in your timeline of experience, uh, key achievements. It's like, I'm always interested in something else. Please reach out to me here. Sometimes it won't be as direct as that. I mean, it happens. Some people have that. It's not as direct. So I don't like when people say, oh, you know, they scrub your social media clean. Uh, and it, it doesn't mean anything. Yes, it, it really does. In this area or in this era of social media and social network, yes, wiping it clean, it means something. Even when you're dating somebody and you're no longer dating someone, what happens? That person usually wipes all their photos on Instagram that they used to have. You know, oh, you go to their profile, it'd be 30 pictures of, you know, said boyfriend and girlfriend. You go back the next day, oh, there's one photo from like before they dated, you know, in a baseball game or some lame photos like, Oh, I guess they're not dating anymore. Oh, yes. So, yes, scrubbing the social media clean, it means something. Even in the football world, don't try to tell me that it doesn't. Now, moving on to the NBA. A person I have a problem with in the NBA. Russell Westbrook. He has got to be my most least liked player in the NBA. I don't like Kevin Durant a lot, but I think Russell Westbrook takes the cake with this one. He's so bad, so annoying. Uh, The reason I have a problem with him is, you know, that Coach Vogel, was fired. I talked about it on my podcast on Monday. He was fired, but then later in the day after my podcast, they had a bunch of media sessions. And Russell Westbrook decided to take shots at his fired coach. No one else took any shots. LeBron didn't. AD didn't. No one didn't. Except Russell Westbrook saying, I don't know what the problem was with Vogel. Don't think we connected, had a good relationship. And it sent me through the roof that he would say that because the problem wasn't Vogel. It wasn't. The problem was was Russell Westbrook. And that's the problem I have with, with Russell Westbrook is he is another excuse maker that can't look at himself in the mirror and admit his own flies. It is always someone else. It's not, oh, I was pulling up from 15 feet every night, pulling up from 20 feet, and I just can't make a shot. I'm hitting the side of the backboard. I'm running through the layup line, and I'm missing every single shot I take. I'm missing dunks. I can't shoot a three to save my life. I am the worst three-point shooter in the NBA. And that's a fact. It's statistical. He, Out of all qualified three-point shooters, He is dead last on the list. 
dead last. And you've got to say, the problem was Vogel? You've got to be kidding me. It's embarrassing. Russell Westbrook should be ashamed of himself because a lot of the problem was on you. Your play was terrible. You stunk up the joint. You stuck it up so bad that Lakers fans were booing you. Were booing you. And when you went to an opposing court and you had a wide open shot, the fans were yelling at you to shoot it because they know you can't shoot. It's embarrassing. And then to point the finger at Vogel for your bad play because he benched you at certain times because your play was that bad. And, you know, there could have been times where he just taken you out of a starting lineup and did, you know, some other things if he was really, you know, a hardball kind of guy. I mean, Russell Westbrook, imagine playing for Bill Belichick. You would have made it through the season. Would have made it through the season. Malcolm Butler did something, didn't play in a Super Bowl. Didn't even play. I forget if he was late to a practice or did something. Didn't even play in the Super Bowl. So, Russell Westbrook, you had it easy with Vogel. Vogel actually helped you out because there are other coaches that would have put the hammer down on you. Uh, And the fact that you can't own up to it, it's pathetic. And another thing I don't get with Russell Westbrook is when they asked him, you know, to recap your season, was it a good season? He said it wasn't a good season, but the reason why stood out to me. He didn't say the season was bad because they didn't make the playoffs or that, you know, they didn't win a championship since they were picked by many to win it. The season wasn't good because he didn't average a triple-double. He said, you know, you'll look at my numbers last year, Washington. I I averaged a triple-double. This year I I didn't, so uh, no, I can't say it's a good season. Are you kidding me? Is When LeBron was asked that, he said, you know, no, he's hungry to win a championship. Russell Westbrook gets asked in a triple-double. It just makes it clear that Russell Westbrook doesn't care about himself. He doesn't care about LeBron James. He doesn't care about Anthony Davis. He doesn't care about anybody else on the team. He doesn't care about his teammates. What does he care about? He cares about Russell Westbrook. Because he is a one-man show. He wants to go down the hill. He wants to take the ball up the court the whole time. When LeBron is better than that. LeBron's a small forward, but he's a better point guard than Russell Westbrook is a point guard. He can take the ball up better. In a fast break, Anthony Davis can take it. Malik Monk, Austin Reeves. They had a plethora of guys that can take it. But Russell Westbrook wanted to be the man that took the ball up the court because he's a point guard. That's what the point guard does. You know what else a point guard does? Shoots the ball well. Doesn't turn the ball over. He was second in the league in the most turnovers this season. That bad. He can't shoot. Couldn't make free throws. Uh, I forget what his free throw averages, but I believe it was some near around... uh, 60, 65%. It was just uh, that bad. And if I can pull it up real quick, I'll say it. Uh, The free throw 
uh, percentage was 66%. It's bad. I mean, he started off his career good. He was around the 85%, 80% mark. But to go down to 66%, he's just not efficient. 66%, three-point percentage, 29.8%. A lot of numbers all round up. Usually I'd round that up to 30. But when you play as poorly as that, and when that number is that low, you don't get it rounded up. You get but 29.8% because 30% would be too kind to say. 29.8%. That bad. Field goal percentage of 44%. This man is not efficient, is not good, and that's the reason why he's been with a different team the past two years. Uh, Act got tiring in OKC, started to go downhill a bit. What do they do? Trade him to Houston. What does Houston do? Trade him to Washington. What does Washington do? Washington do? Trade him to L.A. Yes, it's a sign now. Back-to-back years of not being an all-star. When you were, you know, a perennial all-star, you are no longer that guy. uh, That bad. So, Russell Westbrook, please look in the mirror. Look at yourself before it gets even worse uh, because it's just sad. It's miserable, you know, rooting for the Lakers. And I only root for the Lakers because of LeBron. Uh, I'm going to preface that saying I'm just rooting for LeBron. I'm not rooting for the Lakers uh, because I don't want to align myself with Russell Westbrook. If you can't admit the blame, of how badly you are, then I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. I mean, and I'm glad Vogel, you know, he kind of shoulders a lot of the blame, but for you to point the fingers, you know, it's like doing something at work. You've got a couple, you got, you know, maybe 10 employees under you, and then your head manager or project manager is the guy, and the project didn't turn out, you know, how he'd like, and, you know, the project manager, he owns up to it and says, hey, you know, I know we can do better. Next time, I'll take some of the blame. But, you know, some of the teammates are like, you know, I'll step up next time as well. Uh, even though they know that one teammate didn't do anything on the team, didn't contribute to the project, didn't make it anything good, and they could have easily made the scapegoat him and cut him. And then that teammate says, yeah, that project manager didn't do that much. We had a bad relationship, and I did my part. Uh, what are you talking about, man? I mean, please, Russell Westbrook, please stop infecting the Lakers with your terribleness. That's all I can say. You're just that bad. Please stop infecting the Lakers. You're like like a disease. Uh, that, you know, turn LeBron James into a scoring title chasing guy that's not really his deal. Uh, please leave the Lakers in peace. Now moving on to the play-in games. 
The Brooklyn Nets beat the Cleveland Cavs. I was right. I picked the Nets. As much as I wanted to pick the Cavs, I thought they're not going to do it. And they didn't. Uh, Kevin Durant was great, 25 points, 11 assists. Kyrie Irving, I thought, was even better, 34 points on 12 of 15 shooting. I believe he was 11 for 11. Started out the game with 12 assists as well. He was great. Steph, or Kyrie, was sensational. And all that, you know, we talked about their role players stepping up. Seth Curry, zero points that game. Really? Zero? But, you know, Bruce Brown, Claxton did well. But Kyrie Irving was the man. They held off Darius Garland, who was amazing, 34 points in that game, uh, 16 in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, tried to overcome the effort of the one-man Darius Garland himself, but they could not uh, in Brooklyn. Won that game. They move on uh, to play the Boston Celtics. Clippers and Timberwolves. This was a game I was on the fence about, but I just ended up picking the Timberwolves. And another one I was right on. Uh, Paul George played a great game, but didn't get a lot of help uh, behind him. Reggie Jackson wasn't that efficient. Neither was Marcus Morris. Uh, It was just too much, you know, even though Carl Anthony Towns, his worst game in a long time, 11 points, fouled out, uh, couldn't get anything going. Bailed out by the defense of Patrick Beverly, D'Angelo Russell, and Ant-Man Anthony Edwards, who had 30 points, who was terrific, terrific. But the real kicker of this game was the Timberwolves celebrating like they won the championship. It was great. They won a play-in game. A play-in game to get to the playoffs. Not even officially the playoffs yet. It's a play-in series. And they get up, you know, Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards are all jumping on the scorer's table, taking their shirts off, throwing their shirts, kissing the fans. It was insane. The confetti coming down, the fireworks. You thought they just won the national championship. You know, won the NBA Finals. And it was a play-in game. It was hilarious. The TNT crew started playing, we are the championship, you know, we are the champions, serenading them, saying, you know, the season's over, congrats to the Timberwolves. You had LeBron tweeting 10 laughing emojis, Kyle Kuzma saying they acting like they just won a chip. It was laughable that they did it. It was a bit excessive, you know, to me. And one reason why I find it excessive is, you know, you have, you know, certain things that you do uh, when you celebrate and you win. Uh, if you were to do this after every win, I have no problem with it. But a play-in game, there wasn't even that much craziness from uh, the Bengals when they won their playoff game. Uh, you know, they celebrated, but when they beat the Raiders, they didn't go crazy, you know. Joe Burrow smoked his cigar, you know, as per usual, but they didn't do anything crazy. They didn't rally up the town because they won a playoff game uh, or win the division either. So I thought it was a bit excessive, Minnesota. It was a bit much, you know, I'm glad you won. uh, But, you know, the key part now is going up and facing John Morant 
and the Memphis Grizzlies, who I expect to wipe the floor with the Timberwolves. Then last night, the Hawks beat the Hornets. Hornets out again in another play in two years in a row. Mellow ball coming up short. To Trey Young and the Hawks, I thought the Hawks had just a better team. They were going to do it. Uh, and that proved true. They won by 30 points. Wasn't a close game at all. Everybody was involved, all five starters of the Hawks in double figures. Gallinari, Hunter, Capella, Trey Young, Herter. Too much, you know, whereas Charlotte, you know, down low, Plumley and... You know, they're kind of bigger guys. Uh, could not handle Capella and Gallinari. Too much floor spacing. It was too much, you know, which begs it to ask, you know, LaMelo Ball is kind of a highlight real player. He'll have great passes, you know, uh, a shot here or there. Uh, but, you know, is he the guy? No, I do not think LaMelo is the guy. Uh you know, I think he's a great point guard. He'll continue to be a great point guard in this league. But I'm going to pump the brakes there and say he's going to be, you know, a point guard like an Allen Iverson type of guy to lead a team to the NBA Finals. No, that's not, uh, you know, going to be LaMelo Ball any day, any time, anywhere. We're going to have to surround uh, LaMelo with shooters. Uh, because he's not the most consistent shooter out there, so we're going to need shooting and defense uh, for the Charlotte Hornets. And then with the Hornets, you know, Miles Bridges ejected late in the game, gets heated at a fan. The fan was talking a lot of trash, don't know what to say, but he threw the mouthpiece, and it accidentally hit a fan. Uh, and I just want to give a shout-out to Miles Bridges, uh, you know, Wanted to get in contact, you know, he apologized for what he did and wanted to get in touch with a young lady who he hit uh, to make amends. Thought that was a great move, you know. I get with the anger and frustration you have after, you know, you're losing bad and then you get ejected and all that emotion is kind of boiling over at that point. And then the other one, four for four on the plane so far, Spurs and Pelicans. Pick the Pelicans as well, and I thought the Spurs really had no shot uh, of winning this game. C.J. McCollum came up to play. Good for him. He's been in big moments before. He needed to show up. He did. Brandon Ingram did as well. They combined for uh, like 60 points, so good for them. Dallin Shunas, double-double machine. Good for them, but if New Orleans is going to advance any farther, they're going to need Zion Williamson. And I know Zion was dunking at pregame, doing all kind of cool reverse windmill type dunks. But that's not going to be enough where there's no contact. He's going to have to play an actual game sometime soon for the Pelicans to advance. So this takes me to the play-in games. Hawks and Cavs. This was my initial matchup. I had the Cavs winning tomorrow night. And I'm pretty nervous, you know, after watching the Hawks game in Cleveland uh, because Cleveland, you know, to me, hasn't been on the right end of the stick. 
you know, the past month or so, they've kind of slowly been slipping. And, you know, you had the Hawks kind of beat the brakes off the Cavs in March, which was only a few weeks ago, and it was the end of March. So I'm worried about that. But then you also had the inconsistency of the Hawks. You had, you know, the win-lose, win-lose, win-lose sort of mantra there for a long time. So to me, this is going to be a very close game. Atlanta is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I picked the Cavaliers initially. Atlanta is also favored by kind of by every metric. As much as I want to pick Atlanta because it just seems right, I'm not. I don't want to see Trey Young in the playoffs. I stand with New York and the chance they give Trey Young, whether it be at the Knicks Stadium or at Yankee Stadium, whatever it may be, I stand with the New York fans and their feelings towards Trey Young. So because of that, I ain't picking the Hawks as, you know, bad as this might come back to haunt me and the Hawks could easily win this game. I'm rolling with the Cleveland Cavs. I am rolling with Darius Garland, who was an all-star. Evan Mobley, who was tremendous as well this year, who could win Rookie of the Year. Tremendous if Jared Allen comes back, even if it's minimal uh, minutes down there in the post to handle Capella. That'll brighten up my day. But Kevin Love needs to have a better game than he did. So does Larry Markkinen. They have the pieces to beat Atlanta. They are a bigger team. And to me, they have the point guard, like I said, Darius Garland to match Trey Young. So with all that being said, I am picking the Cleveland Cavs to win this game. As brutal of a 10-game stretch as it has been, I am picking the Cavs. And then after that, tomorrow night, you have the Pelicans and the Clippers, which should be an exciting game. I thought the Clippers right there had the Timberwolves. I believe you were up 93-84, something like that, with like seven minutes left. Timberwolves and went on a run to end the game. This is going to be another very good game to me. The 8-9 and nine matchup should be the most competitive of the games that we have seen uh, so far. And I like the Clippers to still win this game. That was my initial pick. I ain't switching. I think Paul George uh, can handle it, can handle this. Uh, the Pelicans don't have a team that's as deep as the Timberwolves when they with who you know who just beat the Clippers. I think they have C.J. McCollum, who's terrific. Uh, Valanchunas, they've got good players, Brandon Egram. But when I look at you know the veteran Reggie Jackson. Paul George, the coaching of Ty Lue, it's just too much. If it's a close game, you know, the Timberwolves had the talent to beat the Clippers. If it's a close game, I don't think the Pelicans have the talent to beat the Clippers. I think the Clippers' talent and experience gets the job done. They go on uh, to play the Suns. But, again, that should be two exciting games tomorrow night. Hawks and Cavs and Pelicans. And Clippers. And then that should have a playoff set. Uh, 
which starts Saturday. Uh, you will then have the first-round matchup. So I have predicted the Jazz to win the first round. I have said the Grizzlies will beat the Timberwolves. Even with the Timberwolves win, I'm sticking with the Grizzlies. Raptors and 76ers, I think, will be close. Again, going with the 76ers. Same with Nuggets-Warriors, but I like the Warriors. Then whoever makes it out of the Cavs-Hawks series, we're losing to Miami. Nets-Celtics, I think this game will go seven. This series will go seven. I love Boston, but I think the Nets have too much firepower. I'm going with Brooklyn. Bulls-Bucks, Bucks-Sweet. And then whoever plays the Suns, I'm picking the Suns to win. Clippers, it'll be much more of a fight. If it's the Pelicans, that could be a sweep. But we'll see. We'll know the exact matchups tomorrow night. Now to finish off, I'm going to give you my top five teams in baseball right now. Starting with number five, the Toronto Blue Jays. Only one weekend, but they have four wins. They are playing great. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero as well just had three home runs yesterday against the New York Yankees. And Garrett Cole, uh, B.O. Bichette, or Bo Bichette, has played really good. So this is a team that is stacked. Like I said, Guerrero, Bichette, uh, George Springer, Chapman. You know, this is a very dangerous a lineup, you know, it's a team that barely missed the playoffs last year. To me, in the few games they've already played, I feel like the Toronto Blue Jays have matured since last year. I like them. They're sitting there at number five. Number four, the New York Mets, you know, Jacob DeGrom out with injury, but Tyler McGill has looked good in his starts as well. It's impressive. Uh, the fact that they have the most wins in baseball so far, uh, five and two, a run differential of plus 15 uh, is also, you know, second best in baseball. So I'm going to give it to the Mets. Strong rotation, Mad Max. Max Scherzer has looked good in both his starts, uh, clearly affecting his team. Buck Showalter, uh, Pete Alonso hitting home runs. Mets sitting there at number four. Number three, the Chicago White Sox, a team I kind of forgot about. They lost on opening day. Then they just rattle off four straight wins. They've won four in a row. And then there's another team that is kind of back uh, on top where they were last year. Uh, pitching staff has looked good even with some injuries. Uh, but Dylan Cease has been the guy that has stepped up so far. Chicago White Sox, 4-1, best team win percentage-wise so far in the first week. They're sitting there at number three. Number two, the Houston Astros are always here. You know, you lose George Springer last year. You replace him with Chase McCormick. Played good. This year, Carlos Correa, Ben Star. How do you replace him? Oh, Jeremy Pena taking the spotlight away. Done great. Well, look at that. Houston has shown no signs of decline, despite two of their three best players the past few years, Springer and Correa, are now gone. And then number one, it's still the Dodgers, yes, three and two, but it's early. Clayton Kershaw, perfect yesterday. Didn't finish the game, but in his seven innings, was perfect. Cody Bellinger's looked better. So this Dodgers team, 
to me is still top notch, but there's still 150 more games to play. There's a lot more weeks of doing this ranking right here. But early on, first weekend, top five teams, Toronto Blue Jays, New York Mets, Chicago White Sox, Houston Astros, and the L.A. Dodgers. This has been Get Your Goat. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody.